possible. The Bears' season's going to end on a double doink. Doink. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. That's what you want to know? It's the T.C. Martin Show. Yeah, I don't know. That idea. Diagnosis. I had an idea and then... Uh... Prognosis. Yeah, I take the serious. Osmosis. Why, it's funny? It wasn't, it wasn't funny. I wasn't laughing about it. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not funny. Nothing's funny. Don't you ever talk about me. Yeah, I don't know. That idea. That's the result you won't get. It's the doctor, T.C. Martin. I don't go out there and laugh. laugh the doctor laugh. is now in. Glad to have you with us here on a terrible Tuesday. Of course, you know what that means. The day where we get to vent our frustrations on what we've seen over the weekend. Always a great time. Always a great day. But is it terrible today? Yeah, Numchuck's here. It's terrible. Glad to have you with us here on a Tuesday afternoon today. Plenty to touch on today. We'll continue talking a little NFL, Major League Baseball, and a whole lot more coming your way today. Guest today, none other than the two-time World Series champ, the five-time All-Star, the one and only Steve Sachs. And who knows what will happen with Steve Sachs when he joins the program, as we well know. A, some musical choices that could be as obscure as possible. So, Numchuck, be ready for that. I'm ready. Two, will there be an earthquake reference? Within the first 17 seconds. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> there you go. You know, you're lucky, Numchuck, that, that Quake does not, or rather, uh, Sax doesn't attack you the way he does with Quake. I mean, Quake, you know, he was uh, he's one of Sax's favorite. Now, those of you who don't know, Earthquake was the my first engineer slash producer that was here. Uh, going back a few years ago, but uh, Quake retired, and uh, you know we actually have had Quake on a few times, and 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 the that whole thing started with Sacks and Quake because Quake came in here one day, and I told him I was going to have Steve Sacks on the show, gave him a couple days' notice, and he rolled in here wearing his Steve Sacks Dodger jersey, and he goes, Steve Sacks is one of my, he's my all-time favorite player. I don't know how I'm going to be able to to react to you know getting them on the phone. I go real simple. You pick up the phone, dial the number, tell him to hang on, and uh, he'll be on the show. So, Saxy got word of that. Next thing you know, there comes a little friendly banter. The friendly banter then turns into I don't know what you call after that, but uh, taking a couple pot shots at Quake and Quake's laughs about it. So, yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of frolic there. And then we actually had Quake come back in the studio because Saxy says, hey, I missed the Quake. So we reached out to the Quake and said, come on in, and we'll let you actually interview Steve Sachs. And that happened, I, I guess, probably, what, about three, four months ago. And uh, made Quake stay, had some fun with it, great stuff there. A couple of verbal jabs went back and forth with that. And uh, that interview is up on the website, tcmartinshow.com, so you can... Check that out. But anyway, so when you hear the earthquake references by Steve Sachs, if you didn't know already, now you know what that's all about. But uh, always in good fun. You know what today is. Simply terrible. It's Terrible Tuesday. That's terrible. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. That's a terrible idea. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. Something stinks in here. That's terrible. <laughs> it's Terrible Tuesday. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. 
Well, the NFL has come under a lot of controversy over the last two weeks with the handling of the Tua injury for the Miami Dolphins. Now, he had a parent concussion two weeks ago when he played against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, You saw him go down. He was visibly groggy, looked like a staggered boxer going down. He left the game, but then ended up coming back into the game. Now, there really wasn't much talk about this at that point in time until last Thursday night when Tua went down again as the Dolphins were playing the Cincinnati Bengals in Cincinnati. Now, going back to that Buffalo game, he ended up coming back into the game, and no one really said anything, like I said, during the off time. They said, okay, Tua got his bell rung, but he came back in the game. That was it. Didn't really know what transpired there with the Miami Dolphins team physician, doctors, or the sideline officials, or the you know, we should say the sideline you know NFL doctors. So in that game on Thursday night, when Tua got his bell rung again on a sack, and it was a clean sack, and many people in the media, and we talked about it on Friday's show, that many people thought, okay, it was a body slam. It was a very good tackle. There was no penalty on the flag, uh, uh, on the play at all. No flag at all. As Tua got sacked, actually went down with shoulder to the neck, and then the head bounced off the turf. It didn't look like it was a really violent um, you know, concussion. But as it turned out, it was, and you saw... To a motion with his hands, and he kind of froze up there. At that point in time, you knew it was either a neck injury or a concussion. I actually thought it could have been a shoulder or a neck injury. And on the way back on the bus, Tua said that, that he was fine, but he had to further you know undergo some tests. But this got played out in the media, and the NFL came under some big-time scrutiny after that. He was carted off the field in that game. All the questions came right after that. Should he have been allowed to play? Why don't we go back to that Buffalo game? And why don't we find out what happened? And that's exactly what happened. The NFL instituted an investigation. Wanted to know, well, why did he come back into the game? Whose call was that? Was it rookie head coach's Mike McDaniel's call? Now, McDaniel actually addressed this in his uh, press conference yesterday. I want you to listen to Mike McDaniel and how not only he handled this situation, these questions, but listen to how Mike McDaniel just speaks in general. Um, the Yeah, I, I see those as separate entities. Um, personally, I can't speak on, um, you know, what, what, the, what the league and, um, and the and – the, Specifically, the union decided to do with um, that uh, that particular specialist. Um, you know, I, I think in terms of the the new adjusted rule, um, you know, if it if it wins, um, if moving forward it it's safer for one extra player, um, then you know I'm all I'm all for it. Um, as far as this. Uh, this the Bills game specifically, our process, um, and really everything 
um, involved with how we approach the medical situation. Um, I'm still very confident in how, how we did that, but, you know, the, for the rest of it and how procedures need to um, be employed, you know, I think that's not f something when you're talking about matters of the, um, of the, of the brain and, and I, I'm not going to ever pretend to be a foremost expert on it. Um, I think the, if, as long as the protocols are derived with the proper spirit, if it helps players and keeps them safe, um, the Miami Dolphins will be all for it. That's Mike McDaniel, the head coach of the Dolphins, a rookie head coach. We'll talk more about him in a minute. But the bottom line here is the NFL has got to get this thing right. And they're usually very proactive when it comes to these situations. And now they're under scrutiny for this. Now they're scrambling, and they're looking for now further protocol. What more can we do? They want some answers here from the Dolphins. Like, okay, did the head coach put him back in the game? Was it the doctors that cleared him? Did they actually look at him back in that Buffalo game in Miami if he actually had a concussion? And why was he allowed to come back? And again... Tua looked fine afterwards. He said he felt fine. But sometimes, I get it, you have to protect the player from himself because they all want to play. And granted, this has been going on for a long, long time where you have NFL players that get hurt and they want to get back in the game. And I remember Larry Fitzgerald saying one time, like, hey, you know, I got my bell rung and, and they asked me how am I. And, and I said, hey, I'm fine. I was just like, you know, I got grass in my eye. You know, uh, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll go back out there. And that's the life of an athlete. That's the life of an NFL player. And when you look at the situation with Tua, if he's telling you he's fine, that's one thing. Okay, you know, he's a competitor. But if he cleared protocol, then that's behind you. Now, they, they had a short week. You played on a Sunday. You come back and you play on a Thursday. He gets hit. He goes down. Have to get basically hit right in the right spot. Or, you know, he had the reverberation from the head hitting the turf. Okay. And that sparked something. So, I don't know if the NFL is, you know, should be making such a big deal out of this. Uh, because if they do their investigation, they found out that, okay, he was cleared to go back. And then in the next game... It happens again. Well, that's just the way it is. Now they're taking the proper protocol. Luckily, there was nothing wrong with Tua really permanently in this situation. And now they come out yesterday uh, and announce that Tua will be out as a precautionary reason in the game this week against the Jets. So you have that news. And then also on Sunday, you have news coming out of Arizona that J.J. Watt, Played the game in Carolina against the Panthers just days after having a heart procedure. Nobody knew this. Now, do you, should this be personal? Does, does the media, do people need to know this? Well, probably not. But J.J. Watt was seen crying in the post-game press conference after that game. And he was very, very emotional. And I think it caught a lot of people by surprise that we found out that, wow, okay, Number one, Watt's back. Number two, it's like he's okay. And number three, it's like, well, he just had heart uh, procedure just days earlier than that. But uh, J.J. Watt came clean and talked about this. So, again, this is 
putting the NFL in a position here should these players be out there. Believe me, they the concussion protocol is a detailed thing. They are very serious about this. And you're going to have to stop the player from wanting to get back in the game and do their best. And I think we've seen numerous times where players have been told they can't play and maybe it's been very, very mild or maybe there wasn't even a concussion at all, but the NFL has sided on the cautionary side of things. So, again, this isn't a normal situation, normal thing here. But I think, again, if you want to start pointing blame, hey, let's get rid of these Thursday night football games. Like I've said time and time again, nobody likes playing on Thursday nights. All right? The players don't like playing it. Coaches don't like having to coach it. The team that goes on the road, like the Dolphins, last Thursday night, they had no practice time. They had rest, walk through, get on a plane on Wednesday, and come back and play on the road on Thursday, and they lost to the Cincinnati Bengals. So we'll continue to monitor that situation. But back to Mike McDaniel now. Hearing this Ham and Ager talk, what is that? I mean, it sounded like he's the one that had the concussion. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> Not only the um, ah, uh, but, you know, this guy is, is taking on the moniker now of kind of being a joke because the way he handles the media. And some people think, hey, he's kind of refreshing. He's kind of fun. Sounds kind of dorky. But I want to go back to this. What are the Miami Dolphins doing in hiring this guy? We always talk about teams making the wrong hires here and not hiring leaders, not hiring the right people. Heck, we were talking about that with Josh McDaniel after the hire. Now we're definitely talking about it after he was 0-3. Now the Raiders got a win, which we thought they would, but doesn't cure the aspects of is Josh McDaniel the prototypical type of head coach that you want leading your football team because you don't see a lot of these guys basically motivating players and how smart are these guys usually take the hot coordinator whether it's on the offense or the defensive side of the ball and then you make him a head coach let me tell you Mike McDaniel's resume here okay he's young he's 39 he went to Yale went to Yale first of all okay Went to high school, Smoky Hill in Aurora, Colorado. As a coach, in 2005, he was an intern with the Denver Broncos. Went as an offensive assistant to the Houston Texans for two years. After that, he was the running backs coach of the Sacramento Mountain Lions in the California Redwoods. Yeah, that was the goofy outdoor league that they that they had there with, uh, with eight teams going back in the in you know right around 2008 2010 he then is the wide receivers coach and an offensive assistant with the redskins from 2011 to 2013 he's a wide receivers coach with the cleveland browns he's now just a offensive assistant with the falcons for two seasons in 2015 and 2016 he's the run game coordinator not even a coach a run game coordinator with the 49ers for 2017 to 2020, and then he gets this break as the offensive coordinator. This guy's had a coordinator position for one season. One season with the Niners, and the Dolphins scoop him up and say, you're a head coach. Listening to this guy, interviewing this guy, looking at his resume, what makes you think this guy is going to be a successful head coach? And I wish him well. I do. 
Anybody that gets a, a, a job as a head coach, one of the 32 prestigious jobs in the National Football League, God bless you. But there are many, many, dozens, maybe even close to hundreds of more qualified people than Mike McDaniel to be a head coach in the National Football League. That's all I'm saying. And then when you hear him or you see this guy, what faith do you have in him as a head coach, a play caller, a motivator, a leader of grown men? I don't know. Just saying. But we've seen mysterious head coaching hires before. Not the first by the Dolphins, but definitely the latest by the Dolphins. All right. Monday Night Football last night, the San Francisco 49ers and the L.A. Rams. Thank you very much for the Niners. They win last night 24-9. But an interesting thing took place right before halftime during a timeout. A goofball runs out on the field with a flare, some type of of device. It was a smoke bomb. It was a smoke bomb. It was a gender reveal. All I saw was a flare letting out pink smoke. And Numbchuck, you were telling me that it was a gender reveal. That's what I thought. <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't. What? Everybody what? thought everybody thought it was a gender reveal. It was an animal rights activist. Of course it was. Of course it was. How many times did we talk about this during the course of the NBA season where Ham and Akers are chaining themselves up to the backward standard? The goopball, the lady that was that was gluing her hands to the floor there with the Timberwolves. So last night we see some goofball run on the field prancing around with a pink little flare or something like that. Gender reveal. That'd be a good one. Hey, guess what? You know, uh, me and Marcy, we're going to have ourselves a kid. What we're going to do, everybody watch Monday Night Football, and we're going to, 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 to you know reveal to the world whether it's a boy or a girl. Who started that crazy rumor there was a gender reveal, and you bought into that? Because it's pink. <laughs> it's pink. It's pink. It's pink. Maybe it's breast cancer awareness. How about that? Why don't you wear the shirt, you know, with the ribbon and all that kind of stuff? Okay, good deal. But anyway, stay off the field. And here's the thing. What took security so long here? Get ready for this, my friends. I mean, it, World Cup is right around the corner in Qatar or Qatar. You know what they're going to do if they do that? Probably cut, cut the guy's neck off or something like that if that happens there, right? All the nonsense that happens there. But anyway, back to last night. So this goofball is running around the field. Security can't catch him. One security guy looked like he had an injury. went down. I don't get it. But anyway, this Hammondager goes by the Rams bench. And all of a sudden, linebacker Bobby Wagner took matters into his own hands. And boom! Not boom, shaka-laka-laka, boom! But just boom! Bobby Wagner lays him out. With a wicked cross body block. I thought it was an Irish whip off the rope. A la WrestleMania. Like that. Yeah. One, two, three. Where's Howard Finkel when you need it? Unbelievable. Yeah, so Bobby Wagner laid the guy out. Here's Bobby Wagner's quote. He says, well, that's not making a play. He goes, that's just keeping it safe. You don't know what that fan got or what they were doing. You see it all the time. And we don't know what they're carrying in their pockets. It's Whatever that little smoke stuff was, he goes, but that blank, use the S word there, could be dangerous. One of the guys on the other side, it looked like he got hurt, and security looked like he was struggling. So 
Yeah, I was frustrated. So I took it out on him. There you go. Bobby Wagner, the former Seahawk, and now the linebacker for the Rams, took out the goofball with his little white, or rather pink, flame, smoke bomb, whatever you want to call it. Now, Kyle Shanahan had a pretty good quote, too. He said, I saw Bobby Wagner take somebody out. That was kind of cool to see. I could just see Kyle Shanahan doing a Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> How was that, Numbchuck? Is that good? I'll give it a four and a half. <laughs> Alex and Allison, the two activists who disrupted the NFL Monday Night Football game, have been released from police custody in Santa Clara. Alex, who was tackled by Bobby Wagner, has a burn on his arm. Otherwise, they're a bit beaten up, but in good spirits. Now, these two idiots look like they're teenagers. They're probably in their 20s. What does this T-shirt say? They're wearing these T-shirts like, yeah, righttorescue.com. Like anybody is going to read your righttorescue.com while you're running around on the field. He was running too fast to where nobody could even see what he was reading. Right. There was no And way. again, it came during a timeout. So no TV coverage. No TV. During the commercials, this garbage was going on. These guys got to think. Of, you tell they're not sports people. They're not sports fans. They don't get it. But just stupidity. What are you trying to accomplish? Except you're going to the slammer for a little bit. And then you're posing for a picture, you know, before you run on the field. All that. And where's security with it? How do they get over the barricade? You know, Levi's team, they got about, you know, an eight-foot barricade there. How do they, they get on the field? And how are you getting in with this device and this flare? Seriously. How do you get in? And then you got to light it? Yeah, that means lighters, matches, something. Uh, some, light. Those are you things that you twist them. They're, they're twisters. They're twi- we yeah. have more experience than that than me. Okay, how do you get that in through security? How does that get in? Explain that one to me. Uh, Can't explain that one, can you? No. It's just lame. Come on, security. That's ridiculous. But kudos to Bobby Wagner for taking him out. All right, you got some terrible Tuesday takes. You can always hit me on Twitter at TCMartin21. Love hearing those and you sharing those as well, too. All right, the always informative and entertaining one, Steve Sachs, joins us next. The T.C. Martin Show. And when I came to, I had a revelation, a vision, a picture in my head, a picture of this. The Doctor, T.C. Martin. Martin. Don't forget, Friday, we'll be at the Westgate of Las Vegas, our Friday home. You got to love that. The world-famous Superbook. You got to love it. Always fantastic at the world-famous Superbook at the Westgate Las Vegas uh, with our guests, with our handicappers, and, of course, the Best Bets segment. Pretty, pretty, as Larry David would say, pretty, 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 pretty good. Pretty good food options there. And, of course, the 4K video wall and non-smoking. That's what I love about the Westgate. Love it all at the Westgate. And our guys, uh, Jay Cornegay, John Murray, do a fantastic job over there, of course, as well, too. So appreciate them, as always. And, of course, our handicappers and the best bets doing pretty, pretty, pretty good so far. Got to love it. 
Should I have my music ready for Marco for Friday? Mm. Yeah, I think that would be good. Okay. Yeah, that was pretty good. You know, yesterday when you played the uh, what was that? That was the uh, that was the uh, fanfare. The fanfare. The fanfare. That's pretty good. Yeah. Just as long as you uh, you know don't use my Macho Man theme music. Never. My pomp and circumstance. And you might have to use that for me. You know, if I go another three and zero. Oh. What do you think about that? There you go. You gotta love that. I mean, that's that's. I mean, come on. Yeah. And think about that. Randy Macho Man Savage in, in the WWF back in the day, uh, using pomp and circumstance, you would never think that that would be like a ring entrance. You would say, what is this? This is a, a high school or a college graduation theme. And you go ahead and, and use that for a ring entrance. And that became synonymous with Macho, just like Real American with Hulk Hogan. Um, just fantastic stuff. There. What do you? Th- no, this isn't it. This is not. This is. This is. A, there's a hundred. There's probably thousands of pomp and circumstance. One. You gotta go. If you're gonna play this, you gotta go with the Macho Man one with the ba- bum 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 bum. There it is. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Now making his way down the aisle. Hailing from Sarasota, Florida, at 222 pounds, the Intercontinental Champion of the World, Randy Macho Man Savage. Howard Finkel. Ooh, yeah, brother. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Come down the aisle with that. Yeah. Speaking of which, You'll, you'll be you'll like this no Chuck. Going through some of my old recordings, kind of catching up the other night, and because I'm way behind on my DVR or whatever you want to call it, right? Right. I didn't realize that I was still recording the WWE biographies. Oh, those are great. Yes, yes. Every one of them is great. Yeah. So remember, we would talk a lot about that. You know, when Frank was with us and everything, and we would talk about that. And so I guess it's just like on automatic that it just continues to record them over and over. So some of them, you know, I'm not really into, you know. There hasn't been a bad one yet. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're right. But some, you know, you know where I sit with wrestling. Okay. I'm an old school wrestling guy. And I basically cut it off after I quit promoting wrestling in the late 90s. So that was that. So I came across one and I said, wait a minute. I've got to watch this. It was the making of WrestleMania 1. Two hours, phenomenal. One of the greatest ones there is. It was. Yeah, no question. And for them to you know, go behind the scenes and all that, I mean, like I said, all of the, those biographies are, are tremendous. But, yeah, so I sat there and, uh, and watched that the other night. It probably took me about three hours to watch it because I kept rewinding it like oh man I want to see that again or, or you know what what he say what'd she say yeah good stuff but yeah so uh, and I remember like it was yesterday you know when you go back to 1985 <laughs> I mean fantastic stuff man fantastic if you haven't seen it yet check it out Wrestlemania 1 what are you doing now you're dancing this is the Wrestlemania 1 theme song 
The theme song? The theme well, song for it? WrestleMania 1. Oh, well, the, the intro, right. The exactly. intro song. Yeah, Gorilla Monsoon. Yep. Welcome to Madison Square Garden. And that's what I loved. And remember, I talked about this last week, about back in the day, how they would use a lot of the 80s songs for the superstars of wrestling, uh, the rejoiners. And in you know when they did the Superstars Wrestling television show, it was fantastic. And yeah, this is how they started WrestleMania. Fantastic stuff. A guy who knows a thing or two about WrestleMania, believe it or not. That's right, he knows. He's been in the ring. I actually had him as a guest referee one time at the Sacramento Memorial Auditorium. I don't know if he remembers that or not because, you know, memory could be a little bit foggy. He might have gone down with a concussion. He might have went down with a pile driver. By uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine. I don't know. He is the two-time World no. Series champion. He is a five-time All-Star and the former referee of the NWC, Steve Sachs. <laughs> How's that What's intro? Up, How you doing, brother? That, hey, I, I'll tell you exactly who it was. It was Jake the Snake. It was! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You do. Did you stay out of harm's way with the snake? Listen, I could have whipped his butt uh, easy. If I if I even wanted to, but I think I think the snake was less greasy than Jake. <laughs> Jake was lathered up. Yes, yeah. Jake was uh, Jake was lathered up, and he was ready to go. But he was a really good dude. He was fun to to be up there with, and I really liked Jake the Snake. He was he was a fun guy. To, he was he was a really fun dude. Yeah, great guy. And here's here's what uh, you probably don't know. Jake is now living in Las Vegas. Yeah, he's wow. uh, oh, is he really? Yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of the guys, uh, you know, back in those days, um, like Greg the Hammer Valentine, uh, Sabu, Rob Van Dam, uh, Jake the Snake. Yeah, living, living here in, in Las Vegas. They like. What about to, the Great Mephisto? The Great Mephisto. We load up the boots, Steve Sachs. There it is. <laughs> Your Channel Forty Studios on Fruit Ridge Road. There yeah. you go. Don't forget Ray Stevens hey, where, and where, Pat where Patterson. Where did they do that? Jerry Monty and Pat Patterson. That's it. That's it. Jerry Monty. Where, where were those studios? Uh, Channel 40, Fruit Ridge Road, my friend. Oh, God. I'll tell you what. They were there were some great ones. Man Mountain Mike was there. Yeah, there you go. The great Mephisto. Don't, hey, don't forget Rocky Soul Man Johnson. You know, people know. You remember him? That's right. Oh. Rocky, Rocky Soul Man Johnson. And remember, Kenji, Kenji Shaboya. Uh, of course. Of course. And don't forget this one, Steve Sachs. Don't forget, remember Moondog Maine. He would eat the glass with Hank Renner during yeah. the interview. Yes. Hank Renner. How about <laughs> Hank Renner? He called, him a, he called those guys the turkey neck weasel. He did. He did. Hey, I, I will say this. Uh, Hank Renner, when he retired and, and, he, and he got sick, uh, that led to me doing the ring announcing for the WWF back in the day when they would come to Arco Arena. And that's what kind of wow. got me going with the whole wrestling thing. What was all that? Hey, where, where is Rocky Soulman Johnson? I like him. Oh, man. Yeah, he, he, was, he was classic. As you know, the father of The Rock, as you know. And don't forget the, the uh, relative of your main man, Peter Mavia. Peter Mavia. <laughs> I remember him. Peter Mavia. The, uh, hey, I'm not the great Mephisto, though. He was something. And you probably, the, the one you forgot, too, is, don't forget, at 603 pounds, Haystack Calhoun. I know. I remember Haystack Calhoun. <laughs> but I remember I remember how they, they, they didn't, they, it could have been really sexist back then. They didn't talk about it. But they had, they had the, the great Mephisto. And his servant girl, Shalila. That's right. 
<laughs> you remember that? That's awesome. Remember that? Of course. That's good. See, there it is. Who knew that we would get wrestling references today? And that's why it just wow. it just popped in my head. And when was the last time anyone reminded you, Steve, that yes, you were a guest referee uh, for me there well, at, at the Memorial Auditorium? Well, when I was the, when you brought that up, and, and and I thought you know you hate that Calhoun, I immediately thought of the quake. <laughs> of course you did. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. The Quake would have, the Quake would have been a great wrestler, and he could have just kept his name, the Quake. <laughs> exactly. That's why I named him the Quake after the earthquake. John Tenya, that was his real name. And the, and when I first met the Quake, I looked at him, and you know I had to give him a nickname. I mean, he looked just like the balding or earthquake wrestler. And I said, you're, you're, I go, you are now going to be the earthquake. He goes, yeah, I can go for that. And there it was. And it wasn't John Hall. It wasn't Daryl Hall and John Oates there saying, I can't go for that. He right. went for that. And I there did. it is. And right. uh, He did go for that, right? Yeah, he did go for that. And then, and, then, and then later on, he turned into a man-eater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's still going strong, my friend, too. You know what I'm saying? That's right. That's right. Absolutely. And you know what he did after that? He made Sarah smile. <laughs> <laughs> he did, didn't he? <laughs> He All right, Sarah smile. Well, that's great. There it is. Great. Steve 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 Sachs, a referee. I mean, how was your count? Do you remember your count? Was it what a slow count or was it the one, two, three, or do you give it a speed no. count? Do you remember that? No, no. I and sometimes I did the speed count. I, I did kind of slower. And if I saw the, the shoulder start to come up, I would take my time on, on the three or third one. One, two, okay. I'd hold it up. And don't forget. You look, you look fantastic in that uh, bow tie, too, as well. Well, hey, that was part of the dress code, you know what I mean? <laughs> of course, of course. I had to do it, but uh, I, got, I got to mix it up with the snake, yeah. and I got home. I had, to, I, had to, I had to put Bagon in the detergent <laughs> to get that stuff off. I don't know what the, what, what the, what the Jake was wearing, but uh, he had some, some, some kind of foreign substance going on that lather that he had. Yes. So I had to, uh, I had to put something on to, to kind of get it out. But it was all right. There it is. A little bit different than sliding, uh, you know, headfirst into second base there. Uh, there you go. That's right. All right, my man. That's right. Great stuff. Uh, Steve Sachs dealing, dealing with Dealing with a live, large reptile is, is something different than, than <laughs> actually just sliding into second. <laughs> yeah. who, who would be your closest counterpart uh, from a baseball perspective that you would maybe uh, use that tag as, uh, as being a, a reptile? Who would that be? Uh, it could who, be an umpire. It could be, be a manager. It could be a player. Who would it be for you? Who would you compare that? Oh, I, I would say that uh, I would say uh, 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 Joe West I knew would, would be the closest thing. <laughs> Country and that would be Joe. An <laughs> Country Joe, right? Roy, I'll tell you what. Cowboy yeah, Joe. You know, Country Joe was a football quarterback at, at a college. When really? He went to college. He was a football quarterback. Wow. And pretty good. What I understand. Understand? Uh, can can you enlighten yeah. us with a couple of those conversations that you had with Country Joe? And uh, no, because this this is a this is a classy family entertainment show. Yeah, and I, I don't want to go into some of the true conversations I had with Joe. So, all right, my yeah, man. they weren't nice. Let's talk a little baseball here, man. Uh, we got the the last couple of days of the regular season. We've got the playoffs starting on Friday. I want to get your take on how you feel about. This new format, six teams in each league, three division winners, three wild cards, and you know we're going with a three-game series for the wild card. Mm-hmm. Uh, although at the higher seeds home, no travel. Give me your thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it, it, it's it's all part 
of um, act like you're working and being important so you can have a job. Uh, there's so much of this stuff in baseball, I don't even recognize it anymore. They, there's this feeling that you always have to change something in the game to make it better. They're, they're not making it better. I, look, look uh, you don't have to be a genius just to look at the attendance records and see that they go down every year except for 15-16. That year was a tie, but every other year it's gone down, and, and, and you wonder why. Because people don't recognize the game anymore. It's, you know, they, they, they want to pay. So, well, let's get the, we want to get the, the casual fan involved. Why don't you get your base involved again and the people that actually spend money on the game and, and play to your base instead of worried about the casual fans? If it's casual, how you, they're trying to turn them into big-time fans at the expense of losing the base. That, to me, is not good business. And I, I don't understand all these rules, you know? I see guys catching balls with one hand. I see not sliding into the, 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 the bases. Everybody slides head first and they're breaking their hands every other day. You know, I, I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not digging what I'm seeing, man. I'm really not. I know. Like I said, the fundamentals are really gone and everything else is. Yeah, when have you ever seen a bunt change a game? You yeah. don't ever see that anymore. You're right. You ever see a manufactured run? People don't even know what that is. And here's the thing with that, Steve, is that if you're ever going to have that now being really relevant and changing the game, it's now because with the shift, the third baseline is wide open. Heck, the whole left yeah. side. I mean, you laid mm. you, you you lay down the perfect bunt. I mean, you can walk to first base. It's ridiculous. Yeah. They're giving well, you, you, you first base. Down the third base. You can lay down a bunt to the third baseline, push it down there, and you can get a double. I was going to say that, too. Exactly. You push it down yeah. there. Exactly. It, it, I saw the other day, TC, when I was doing a – I do the Saturday games for the Rivercats, which is now over, uh, uh, TV games here in, in Sacramento. And the guy comes up to bat. He's a right-handed hitter. And there's a guy in second and nobody out. So what do you do? So you hit the ball to the right side with the runner over. There were three guys on the left of second, the third, short, and second baseman are all pulled. There was one guy on the right side. There was about 95 feet of real estate where you could have hit the ball over there like you should to move the runner over. What's he doing? He's up there trying to pull the ball. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is outlandish. Yeah. What's the difference if you get a base hit to left or you get a base hit to right? What difference does it make? You're right. It hits plus, a hit. plus you move the runner over hmm. if, you don't, if, you, if you do get it out. I mean, I just don't get it. I, I mean, is there something I'm, I'm not understanding? Well, but this is the way it is. But why isn't that coming from your manager, or why isn't it taught with the hitting coach or whatever? And we've talked about this before. I mean, what what is batting practice? Batting practice: is how many balls I can I can launch, uh, you know, you know, in yeah. the left field bleachers and the right field uh, bleachers. That's that's yeah. all it is. It's it's ridiculous. But you would think. I mean, you go back to spring training. Okay, let's let's work on bunting. I mean, who does it? I mean, mm-hmm. and here's another thing. We, from a fielding perspective, how many pitchers are so piss poor at fielding their position? I see one hoppers mm-hmm. back to the mound, and the guy doesn't even know how to use a glove. I mean, especially these relievers. Right. It is a joke. In you, When you were in spring training, I mean, wasn't that just, I mean, come on. I mean, wasn't that basic 101? Okay, go cover first, balls yeah. hit to the right side. You know, field your position. Right. The bunting. So that it's isn't called, it on management, isn't it on coaching? Yeah, it's called PFP, pitcher's fielding practice. There you go. And it, it's uh, it's rudimentary. It's something that's basic. And you know, teams don't do not take 
infield practice anymore. There would be like a formal infield practice before the game. They don't do that anymore. They, they don't even take the batting practice on the field about half the time. They take it in the cage. There's a big difference between hitting in the cage and hitting on the field. But th- that's where we are now. That's where we are today. And they get to the ballpark for a 7 o'clock game. They get there at about 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> what the hell are you doing from 11 o'clock to 7? I mean, if you're not ready coming out of spring training, what, are you going to try to get ready now by coming in at 11? And, and I, I get looking at all the video that's available and, and whatnot, but what are you doing the rest of the No, time? you're getting a I haircut. Mean, you're having a nice little brunch. Yeah. You're taking a little siesta. That's what you're doing. You know yeah. that. Yeah. They do that. Watching they, some they TV. Have, they have the chefs at the ballpark, and they, they eat there, and they, they do all that stuff. They take a nap there. And then, I, I mean, I, I would think that you want to kind of have a separate, you know, private life, which is also good for you. But, no, they're, they're there all day. All right, Steve Sachs joins us. Hey, you're the perfect person that I want to ask this to because we've been talking a lot about it with these rule changes. You're down there at the minor league level broadcasting the games, like you said, for the River Cats, Pacific Coast League. Mm -hmm. We have the Aviators here in Las Vegas. What Mm -hmm. is your thought about the pitch clock? And now I heard that they were even having this, I guess, challenging the umpire's uh, strike call and, and, and going to challenges in the middle of an at-bat now. And a, a, uh, a friend of mine actually said he went to the Aviators game last week and said, hey, it wasn't too bad. And I, and I, and I can't understand that. So tell me what you're noticing here. Well, I don't like the pitch clock at all. I mean, uh, what if a pitcher needs a little bit more time to you know, get his thoughts together in, in a crucial situation? Or a hitter, for that matter. You know, they're trying to rush him in the box to... Get, make the game two minutes early or get over with. It's, I don't like it at all. That's what I think about that. I think it's a bunch of BS. Um, and then the automatic strike zone, you know, I don't know who you pose the argument with. You can't do it with the umpire because he's not making the call. All he did, all he did is, as a messenger, some electronics are making the call, and I don't know what you do. If you get pissed off, you start yelling at, 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 uh, at what, Internet uh, Explorer? Did you start making an argument with the Internet Explorer? Yeah. Or, uh, you know, your IT department really sucks? Or I don't know how you make that argument, but you can't even go there. If you raise your eyebrows in, in protest, they'll throw you out of the game. So th- there's no personality in baseball anymore. They sanitized the game. Um, baseball was wonderful when it had all of its warts that were showing. That's what people liked about the game. You know, you run out there and you argue and you stomp your feet and kick the dirt. And, you know, they kind of like that stuff. But, my God, that would add another two minutes to the game. We can't do that. So you can't even argue a ball or a strike. If you do, you're out of the game. That's where it is. So let me ask you this. Um, the Philly situation tonight, okay, in, in the next two years, they're playing the Astros for the next two games. Now, Philadelphia popped their champagne last night because they clinched the playoff spot. There's still one game behind San Diego. There is talk out there, Steve, that this team may want to finish in that sixth seed instead of the fifth because if it's the fifth, more likely they're going to have to play the Mets, who they struggled Mm -hmm. against. If they finish sixth, they're going to get a chance to play the third seed, which is the Cardinals, who they've had some success against. When you hear that about – that teams may tank a game or two uh, at the end for this. What are your thoughts? Um, <laughs> well, there's so much manipulation 
uh, coming from the top about the game of baseball today, I just say, why not? Why not? Go ahead. It, it Does it really matter now? That, that would be kind of my take on it. Does it really matter now? You're supposed to go out there per your contract and do your best and try to win every game. If not, I mean, you could be technically held in contempt and, you know, be, uh, you know, you, you could be, uh, you could be in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, but we will never see that uh, because there's so many rules and so much interference in baseball. What are they going to do now? Go at you and, and try to do a black box scandal thing and say you were throwing a game? Well, I guess they could, and that would be the part where you're supposed to do your best and you don't. But I don't know. I, I, my, my own opinion as a fan is, so what? They, they've changed the game so much. What should they care? You know what I mean? It, 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 it all of a sudden now it's sacred. You know, to me, the, the, the powers that be at top, or, or don't think this game is sacred. It's certainly not what they've done to the game. They, they shredded the game. It's not sacred anymore. So I had this uh, discussion with uh, another person on another show, on the MLB show that I do on YouTube uh, in the mornings, and we talked about this game. And I said, well, you wait to the lineups. I go, players are never going to go out there and you know, you know, throw a game or try to lose. I go, it's on management or the executives upstairs. you got to look at the lineup. Because if the manager wants to win a game, he's going to put together his best lineup. If he doesn't want to win a game, then they're just going to put up uh, put out there, you know, the the backups and the subs and that sort of thing. So here you got the situation tonight. Verlander's going for Houston, and Ranger Suarez is going for Philly. So I just pull up the lineup, Steve. And again, I, did, I already laid it out. You know, do the Phillies want to win or not? Here is the starting lineup tonight. Bryce Harper's leading off. Then you've got Alex Baum. Boom. Then you've got Hall, Marsh, Bryson Stott got elevated to the fifth spot. Uh, Mayton, Verling, Guthrie, Stubbs. What is Philly? What is yeah. Philly doing tonight? It says it right there. I haven't yeah. seen this kind of lineup at the second game of a doubleheader in July. Yeah, on the backfield in spring training. Right now, the Astros. Yeah, so- here's what Dusty's putting out: Altuve, Pena, yeah. Alvarez, Bregman, Tucker, Gurriel, Diaz, McCormick, Maldonado. He's trying, trying to win. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, with Verlander. Yeah, so. So, so uh, you know, technically, you know, could a team, could a manager or somebody be prosecuted because they're, they're obviously not putting out their number one team? Uh, it, it's a gray line because all the players that are out there are going to try their best. So they, they probably couldn't do it, but we all know what's going on. I mean, you, you laid it out perfectly. And that, that's the thing about baseball before is, my gosh, years ago, for instance, in the All-Star game, Willie Mays and Hank Aaron and Bob Gibson and those guys were pissed off if they didn't play nine. Bob Gibson <laughs> wanted to pitch the whole game. Right. McCovey wanted to play all nine innings. So and so did Mays. They wanted and Aaron. They wanted to play all nine innings and they wanted to beat the other team. Okay. Mm. That, that's that's not even true in a regular season game tonight. So you make the you make the the, uh, the drastic you know contradiction between. The two teams in the eras that that be now. It's it's amazing. All right, my friend. He is the author of Sacks in the Morning. Great podcast. Get it where you get all of your podcasts. Pump that up for me, Steve Sacks. Talk about Sacks in the Morning. 
If you want a shot of emotional nutrition in the morning, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, three to five minutes, it's like a booster rocket going into work. <laughs> Turn it on to Stacks in the morning and enjoy a shot of, the, of uh, motivational nutrition from yours truly. Wow. Who needs a B12 shot and you know where? <laughs> <laughs> there it is. You got right. you got Stacks in the morning. All right, brother. Aaron Judge, is he get, is, is he is he go is he hitting any more home runs this year? Real quick, yes or no? No, I saw him at bat today. He's depressed a little bit. He's getting around the ball. He needs to forget about the left side of the field and just drive that sucker in the right center, and he'll do it. All right, brother. Hey, man, we appreciate you. Uh, hopefully, I'll see you this weekend, and we'll get you back on. Hopefully, next yeah. week we talk some meaningful playoff baseball. How's that? I hear you. I I'm ready for it. Take care, brother. See you there later. You. Steve Sachs, turning two right here. T.C. Martin Show, pump it up, and this is it, this is it, the NWC theme, Steve Sachs, your special guest referee back in the day, outstanding, you can go ahead, Google it, YouTube it, it's out there baby, Sacramento Memorial Auditorium, not just here in Vegas, yeah, ooh yeah brother, more store around your door, more of what you're looking for coming up, Rod Smith, former quarterback, DB, the Panthers, joins us next, huh. The only thing matters is a win. That's it. However, whatever, whatever it takes. Let's go, man. Let's win on three. One, two, three. Win. Live. 319. In the entertainment capital of the world. Vikings blitz. Manning got it off the rear deep throw. And maybe that's why they don't do it. Intercepted by Xavier Rhodes. It's the T.C. Martin Show. They're not used to this damn heat. They over there trying to set up damn pits over there on the sideline. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Okay, well, I ain't going to worry about you no more. 300 yards, four touchdowns. It's so sweet when you walk off the field knowing you gave everything you got. Team win tonight. The doctor is now in. Hour number two on this Tuesday edition of the T.C. Martin Show. Glad to have you with us. Don't forget, we will be at the Westgate on Friday. Each and every Friday, the world-famous Superbook, the Westgate Las Vegas. Come on out, see the show live, our special guests, and, of course, our best bets segment that goes each and every Friday. Three best college plays, three best NFL plays. You got to love it. Come on out and check it all out. All right, this hour we'll talk a little more Major League Baseball. Mark Borcher is going to join us. The base winner, you can catch him at basewinner.com, our analytical guru, betting Major League Baseball, specifically the playoffs. And uh, if you missed Steve Sachs' last hour, fantastic stuff. That'll be up on the website a little bit later on today under the podcast section at tcmartinshow.com. All right, man. We continue on. We talk a little NFL and, uh, you know, we had our Monday afternoon quarterback edition, which we always do on Monday, kind of recap and everything. We'll touch a little bit more about that with our next guest. And uh, he's a good one as well, too. Love having him on the show. And that is the former cornerback, the former safety with the New England Patriots back in the day, the Carolina Panthers, the Green Bay Packers. And, of course, I have to say, the pride of Notre Dame. Fighting Irish, of course, the one and only Rod Smith. Rod, what's going on, my man? 
Man, good to hear from you, brother. How's everything? Everything's good, man. Great to connect with you again, man. And I uh, said, so we got to get Rod back in the rotation here. Here we go. We hear from our quarterbacks. So we got our we got our linemen. You know, we got we got we got your boy Steve Berline. He joins us pretty regularly. We got Trevor Maddich. Right. Give me some defense. Give me some defense with Rod Smith. That's what we got to do. Exactly. Steve's a Steve's a great dude, but um, you know the, the quarterbacks uh, is as intelligent as most of them, and I say most of them are. Um, he's got he's got a, definitely got an offensive bias, but uh, <laughs> but Steve's a sharp one, knows the game, and and uh, and was uh, was really was a master at, uh, at at calling the right play and getting into the right audible. Like I had a lot of respect for his game. Steve was a stud. Yeah, no doubt. All right, man. Well, uh, Rod Smith joins us here today. We talk a little NFL. And uh, I know, like I said, you know, you're, you're still very active with uh, everything in the National Football League. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the Carolina Panthers because I know that you're still very close to that team in that situation, done a lot of work with them. Uh, they lose to, the, uh, to Arizona, the Cardinals, last uh, Sunday, and uh, Kyler Murray actually showed up, played pretty well. Uh, the Panthers just kind of seem one of these Jekyll and Hyde teams here. Really kind of hard uh, to figure out. What is your take about the Panthers after the first four games? Uh, my take on the Panthers is that uh, they're suffering from the same um, uh, issue that they had last season. And, that, and I want to say their offensive line last year was was 29 out of out of uh, 32 teams um, combined with the with pass protection and running the football, and I think this year we're probably going to end up around the same spot. We added one guy at center who's a pretty good player, but other than that, it's the same team they had last year up front. And listen, it, it doesn't matter. It's, it's funny. A lot of fans don't appreciate this nearly enough. I think and I'm not technically shot anybody, but that's just the way it is. The fact of the matter is, I, well, I'll tell you this. I remember Bill Parcells telling me this. Bill Parcells said, Rod, if you can get a quarterback off his spot, five-step drop, he's supposed to stand within a, a two-yard circle. If you can get the quarterback one step off of that spot, their completion percentage goes down from 75% down to 42%. Getting a quarterback to take one step off of his spot reduces his completion percentage by almost 50%. So when you've got an offensive line like the Panthers that struggles and, and Baker Mayfield is not a tall guy anyway, is struggling trying to, trying to find lanes and he's getting pushed all out, out of the pocket. I mean, literally 70% of his throws were five yards off his spot. You know what I mean? Like, like the rush was in his face where he had to move outside the tackle box just to see enough to be able to get the ball completed. There is no way you can have any continuity throwing the football if, you, if your quarterback is, is, is on the run like that. Not to mention not the, the ability, not, not having the ability to run the football was showed up in the second half. Um, you know, I, I think we lost the, the uh, time of possession in the second half. Well, overall for the game, I think it was like 30, 38 to 21 or something like that, 38 to 29, something. I mean, it's just, just, just horrific. So, you know, until the Carolina Panthers get better up front uh, on the offensive side of the ball, I think the rest of the team is good enough to win games. But until they get better up front on offense, there's no shot. And, and, you know, poor Matt Rule is taking all the heat, and maybe he should take some of that for not retooling the offensive line. But, but listen, it wouldn't matter if Bill Parcells is coaching these guys. I mean, if you can't if you can't move guys up front, you're going to have problems. What is your take, Rod, on Baker Mayfield? Is he the same quarterback that was in Cleveland? Is he different? And and the bottom line is, I mean, do you feel this guy can be a starting quarterback? Should be a starting quarterback in the NFL? 
I do. And um, uh, I think that you know, with protection, which is funny, you know, every coach has a, has a couple plays that they're able to scheme during preparation, uh, you know, having seven days to prepare for a team. So every team's got a couple plays where they know it's going to work, they're going to do a bootleg, or they're going to find a way to get the quarterback some space and get a guy open. And so every time they do that, Baker Mayfield's able to produce. He's able to get outside the pocket or, 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 or execute the play, find a receiver, make a very difficult throw. He had about three or four throws in the first half that literally are, you know, that are, that are top ten quarterback type of throws. I mean, there, there, there must be – there couldn't be more than 20 guys on the planet Earth that can make some of the throws that Baker is capable of making. He can make those throws. Now, um, he's not as good when he's on the run, obviously, right? But, but here's the thing. Nobody is. Um, I think the lack of performance at the quarterback position with the Carolina Panthers is concerned is not the fault of, of the quarterback. Now, that being said, um, Baker could play better. Um, but he's a, he's a huge upgrade over last season. He's the best guy that they've had there since Cam in his heyday. Um, and I'd resign him. You know, um, uh, I, I think you, you've got to let some of the offensive assets go and get better up front. I'll keep harping on that. Forgive me. But, like, you just you can't win without bigs on the offensive line. But I think, I think Baker's a keeper. I really do. All right, Rod Smith uh, joins us, the former Carolina Panther, talking about the Carolina Panthers so far this season. Now we hear that Sam Darnold, who has been injured, is pretty much regaining his health and ready to come back. So we had a quarterback controversy during training camp. Mayfield basically won the job, I guess, kind of by default. Now with Darnold back, what do you uh, think is going to happen here? You know, that's a great question, and this is, a, this is an interesting dilemma. I didn't think about this until you just mentioned it, but I'll I tell, tell you what I think, and this is, this is my opinion, that if, 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 if Baker is pulled from the starting lineup, that represents to me an act of desperation, that, that actually the, the fortunes of the team would be better served with Baker playing at 70% than the other guy. I, I believe that. Now, listen, I'm not saying Baker's Tom Brady. He's not. But what I am saying is he's one of the 20th, 20 best quarterbacks on the planet Earth. You know, he's around that 20 range. The other guy's in the, like in the 50s. I mean, I, I, I think that. I mean, I mean, that's not my, like, my opinion. That's me watching the game, the quarterbacks, having played defensive back for seven years, like evaluating their throws and their ability to make plays. And Baker is a is a standard deviation better than the other guy, mm-hmm. Sam Donald. Clearly, if they start Donald, it is an act of desperation. He's not better. He does not give you a better chance to win than Baker. As bad as Baker's playing that playing right now, that's that's just the facts. No. In my opinion, that's my evaluation. I, yeah. I agree with you. I think he is a, a better quarterback. He was a better quarterback in college. He's been a better quarterback. Uh, than Darnold in the pros. But let me ask you this. You mentioned Matt Rule, okay? Obviously, you know, he, he Darnold was under Rule uh, last year for, for a bit, and they thought that he was going to be the guy going forward here, that Darnold, oh, finally found a home. Do you think that Rule has allegiance to Darnold? Uh, no. And, and, and this is going to sound cruel, but but I I hope not. He just hasn't he just hasn't earned it. Well, you should you as a head coach. I mean, you got to play play the, the the better guy that you feel is going to lead your team to wins. Plain and simple. Let, 
Listen, listen, absolutely. And 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 you know what's funny? It, it it takes a lot of courage to play a guy that's struggling like Baker, knowing he gives you a better chance to win than than, than throwing in Darnold and, and, and appeasing the fans. Oh, he's trying somebody else. Baker threw three picks last week, so he obviously can't play. Well, listen, if if you got defensive linemen literally in your face three out of four snaps. If you're under that kind of pressure continually, you're going to have interceptions. Tom Brady would throw three picks if the defensive linemen were in his face like they were in Baker's. So I'll say it again. It is an act of desperation. It would, it would be painful to watch to throw, to, to take a, a Baker out of the lineup, to put Donald back in the game because he's, he's just not as good. And, I, and I'll, I'll end with this real quick. Another thing, I keep going back to Parcells because he's the best coach I've ever been around times six, right? He's just, he's just in the league by himself. He taught the guy who is now considered the best coach who's ever walked the planet Earth. He taught that guy everything he knows. I can still to this day hear Patriots offensive checks and remember those from when I played with the Patriots and the Bill Parcells. They're running the same stuff the Giants ran in 1985. Okay, let's just start with that. So Parcells said, because I asked him, you know, I, I, I used to, he used to get in the in, – uh, and get his fat butt on the treadmill at like five o'clock in the morning and try to try to walk some of that fat off in the morning. And I'd get in early and I'd see him in there and I'd try to ask him a couple questions to learn from him. And I said, Bill, let me ask you a question. How do, how do you evaluate players? Just give me like the, give me the 50, 50,000 foot view. How do you evaluate players? He goes, past performance. I don't care how fast, how big he is, whatever. Show me a guy that's been good in high school, produce high numbers. Guy at college, I don't care if he played at, at West Texas A&M, Prairie State University, <laughs> a guy that's been productive in, in, in college, guess what? Those guys end up usually being productive at the next level. Don't show me a guy that runs 4'2 in the 40, he's 285 pounds, and he's 6'9, and he can catch it up. Listen, if the guy has caught eight balls in college, he can't play dead. Show me a guy that's produced, that shows me numbers, production numbers at every level in his career. That guy has a better chance to be a good player. And I go back to speaking about Bart Donald. When he was at USC with all those studs out there, they didn't win anything. Right. They didn't win anything. They, they were literally the, a top three uh, a college in talent. All four years he was there, they won nothing. So Baker, Baker's in Oklahoma, they had some talent, don't get me wrong, but they were winning like crazy. He's making great throws. So, like, at the end of the day, go with the guys that have shown you over their career that they're able to produce numbers. They will give you the best chance of success. That's not coming from Rod Smith. That's coming from Bill Parcells. Well put, my friend. Totally agree with you and Bill Parcells. And let's uh, also add Baker Mayfield, eh, probably better commercials than Darnold, too. <laughs> a lot better. A lot better. Much more personable. And, I mean, and he's, and he's feisty. And, and even if he's wrong, at least he gets mad. He's, got, he's emotional. He cares. Yeah. Like, like, give me that guy. Like, you know, Darnold just always looks like he's – he just doesn't look – and listen, that doesn't mean he's not. Don't get me wrong. I'm not taking shots. He may be like – he may be the most caring and tense guy in the world. I just don't see it. That doesn't mean it's not there. I'm not – I want to be careful what I'm saying. I'm not saying he doesn't have passion. I'm just saying I like a guy that wears an on sleeve a little bit more. That's just me. You got it. Rod Smith uh, joins us seven years in the NFL cornerback safety position. Talking about Bill Parcells, talking about the Panthers. Let's talk about – Another quarterback situation that just has developed here in Pittsburgh where Kenny Pickett, the rookie from Pittsburgh, the hometown boy, comes in in the third quarter 
And it looked like, whoa, okay, crowd's going crazy. You're you're appealing to the crowd here. You're appealing to the front office. Hey, we drafted this guy. We, we want him in the game. And Mitch Trubisky, who has struggled for the Pittsburgh Steelers up until this point, he gets yanked. And it looks like, okay, this thing actually might work out. And then the Steelers give the game away. In the last few minutes, this team had a double-digit lead, Rod, in this game against the Jets. And then all of a sudden now it's like, okay, here go the Steelers again. I mean, just a dreadful year so far with Pittsburgh. But, but we talk about that and talk about Mike Tomlin because I want your your take about Tomlin as a coach. But let's first start with Pickett versus Trubitsky. Um, I mean, it's funny. I'm just going to tell you what I think. Right? I don't want to overanalyze it. Here's my thing. I don't like the idea – of taking a player out during the game, unless they are, unless they are absolutely losing it for you. I mean, if, if a guy throws interceptions on three consecutive series, yeah, he's coming out of there. But other, other than something like that egregious, I'm not taking out my star. Like, like you start the game, you finish the thing. It, and it's not about, about punishment or it, it's a, it's about continuity. It's about it's about disrupting the cadence of the offensive line, the running back. Every the new quarterback, it, it's not just a new guy in the game. It literally disrupts the entire rhythm of your offense, of your entire football team changes, the energy changes, and like and, and it's and that's usually bad. I mean, can it be good? Sure, you know, you, you know, you can bring in Steve Young for Joe Montana, a Hall of Famer comes out, the guy, you know, the guy blows it up. It's like, of course, right? Yeah, I mean, if it's Steve Young on the bench, but. But but there's no Steve Young in Pittsburgh right now. You know what I mean? Like I mean, you know, he's not coming off the bench. So I don't like the idea personally um, of of yanking the quarterback unless he's doing something super egregious. Now, Mike Tomlin is one of the top five coaches in football on the planet. He's one of the top five coaches, football coaches on the planet Earth, walking around right now. Now he's got issues the same way the Carolina Panthers do, and that is their offensive line stinks. They, like, I think last year they were they were 24th and they're lower this year. They're, they're awful. Now, if I'm Mike Tomlinson, I get rid of some of that receiver talent and and I bring in some offensive linemen. I, I trade. They've got a bunch of wideouts, a bunch of backs, a bunch of money in there. Like they, they need to get rid of some of that money they have in the, in the skill position and get some hogs, some guys that can block. Um, that'll make things a lot easier. But they, but Pittsburgh Steelers can't block anymore, and and I think that's the reason why Ben got out of there. Not because he's a million years old, which he is. He'd have played if he thought that he had, he had a chance to get people blocked. But Ben's been taking a, a butt kick in the last three years. They've been garbage up front. And, and at some point, it catches up with you. Even the, the, the phenomenal level of coaching that they have. And, I mean, they are – Pittsburgh is phenomenal. I mean, top five in the league. Even right now, their staff is top five in the league. The reason why they're not winning at that level is because they don't have enough offensive line now. And, and, they, and they, they've been – Smoking mirrors with a, with a huge quarterback that can take the punishment and, and made every perfect check over the last three or four years. But, like, now they run out of gas. And without Ben back there, now they're getting exposed. And, and, and yeah, I mean, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna struggle this year. I really, I really believe that. Speaking to coaches, John Harbaugh under the microscope again for the way uh, he coached that game against Buffalo. They blew a big lead, a 17-point lead. Buffalo comes storming back. Harbaugh has a chance on, on fourth and two with four minutes to go uh, to, to kick the field goal, give the Ravens a three-point lead. He goes for it. Buffalo holds, and Buffalo marches down the field. 
probably should have scored. I, I can tell you a lot of people uh, here in Vegas were upset that they didn't, yeah. they didn't pound it in for seven <laughs> because the, the yeah. point spread was three, maybe three and a half in yeah. some places, and they <laughs> yeah. settled for a field goal. So, you know, a lot of campers weren't happy about that. But it goes back to Harbaugh in that decision. And I don't know if you heard what he said, Rod, but he said he did not want to, you know, put – Buffalo and Josh Allen in a situation in a four down situation, meaning that well now they're going to be going for it on, on on four downs. I didn't understand that. It seems like he's always trying to to backtrack. I think really what he's trying to say is, hey, I don't trust my defense. Even in the same sentence, he says, well, of course, you know, I trust the defense, you know, and and they'd, they'd have to go to the length of the field, you know, ninety eight yards, and you know, it, it's a tie game. But I trust my defense. I don't think he trusts his defense, and that was the scenario last year. And leading into this game, we saw who's the worst defense, dead last in the National Football League, the Baltimore Ravens. Give me your take about yeah. that game and Harbaugh's decision. Yeah, I mean, your read on it is absolutely perfect. I mean, listen. Let's be honest. I mean, I, I mean, he can't say this, but let's be honest. He, he made that decision because he felt that there was a better chance that, that he thought statistically there was a better – and, again, this, this turns into analytics. He thought that mathematically speaking, the chance of them kicking that field goal is what? Probably 80%, 85%. So there's an 85% you get three points. Okay? And then Josh Allen has to get seven to beat you, three to tie. He felt better going for that fourth and two. And I'm guessing – I have to check my stats, but I would imagine fourth and two in the National Football League on the plus territory, probably somewhere around ooh, probably, probably maybe 50-50, maybe 60-40 that you get it, maybe 50-50. Let's be let's 50-50. So like, he thought that the odds of winning the game were better, were better going with that 50-50 shot on offense than giving his defense a shot. He, it's clearly because he doesn't trust his defense. Um, and why, I don't know if, that's, if he doesn't have faith in the coordination of it uh, with the players, but ultimately that's not overconfidence in your offense. That is underconfidence in your defense, clearly. Rod, let's get your take here about the Raiders. Uh, they finally get off the schneid. Josh McDaniels, another head coach that had a lot of question marks uh, coming and taking this job with the Raiders. Started off 0-3. They beat Denver 32-23. Raiders really played a complete game on both sides of the ball. Mm -hmm. And for the Raiders... No turnovers, only four penalties. And when you can't usually use those things in the same sentence when you're talking about the Raiders. So it was a yeah. good performance uh, about them. But they had played you know, three close games, went down to the, the final play in those three games. Yeah. What is your take of what you've seen so far with the Raiders and Josh McDaniels? Well, you know, I, I would – again, I don't I – don't, uh, and I've met Josh before, but, but I, don't, I don't know what's happening in the locker room. But I do know that – I mean, everybody's heard the old adage that you can hire, um, you can you can you can buy a man's hands, but you can't buy his heart. And you can pay somebody five million dollars a year, and they're going to show up to practice every day, and they're going to play hard. They're going to play hard on Sundays, but you but you can't buy his heart. You can't buy whether or not five million dollars doesn't make a man love his teammates. Or love his coaching staff, and and love makes you do makes you play in a different way. You will take on, you will take on a three hundred pound blocker if you love your your love your safety, and risk getting getting crushed in a little ball 
because you know you have to do that in order to to make to sacrifice your body to make your, make the, make make it available for the guy behind you, the safety, to make the tackle to win the play. But but if you're making five million dollars and you don't love that safety, you don't love that team, and you don't love your head coach, you might just kind of make a business decision and try to turn it inside the best you can, and maybe the back is on the sideline and beat you for ten yards the first down, and you lose the game. It's that thin. And with what happened with the Raiders, let's not make any mistake about it. That team was fractured after what happened with the last coach. I'm sorry. Like, like you, like to be, to be, to be um, um, uh, disrespected by your head coach. Like, for, for to know that he, that the way he thought about you, and the, and the, and the, and the ownership was it was in on it, or at least was aware of it. And they didn't respond correctly. Like, like there is a there is a fracture that happens on that ball club. Like, listen, they're still going to show up and play hard. Guys are going to listen. You're making five million dollars here. You're going to show up, right? But you don't have his heart. He doesn't love the organization. He's just there to collect those checks. Okay. So now Daniels comes in. He's got to change that. He's got to get that Patriot thing going. And that takes some time. It takes some time to, 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 for the players to trust you. That, hey, I'm actually here for you, for us. We're in this together. I don't care what you've heard. I don't care what the last guy did. Like, like we're going to recreate the love on this team. I'm going to show you that I love you guys and I care about you guys. And my whole staff is. Are, 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 are the people that cook meals are. The people that clean the stadium are. The people that, that, that take your field are. We're, we're going to love you. And we're going to keep showing you love until you love us back, until you love each other. We're going to, we're going to build that camaraderie that, that is what guys miss when they leave the league. You don't miss them. You don't miss the games. You, just miss, you miss the, te- the, 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 the locker room. But it takes a while to, to rebuild that after it was shattered by the last guy. He was a great coach, but he was an idiot when it came to that. <laughs> and I, just, I can't even describe how bad it is. <laughs> so, Jeff Daniels is slowly trying to get that thing rolling in the right direction. We finally saw them finally break through. They may be on their way. Now they could go on and win. You know, when they win next six out of seven, you know, they could, they could, they could, they could lose a couple of games. Like, like we'll have to kind of watch them. But it's going to take a while for Daniels to be, to be able to create the love on that team. And that that you, and you, that's not about money. That's about that's about the way people treat you and your experience with them and your ability to trust them. That creates love. And without love, it's tough to win championships. Love the insight, love the knowledge, and the passion, Rod. Outstanding. As always, man, I appreciate it. We thought we were going to be going down the love tree, man, in this conversation. There you go. And, and, and to that point, and here's what I'm always saying, is like certain guys, you know, the NFL is just in love with hiring the hot coordinator. And, you know, I played some some audio last hour from Mike McDaniel from – from the Dolphins. It's like, look at his resume. Listen to this guy. I mean, does he inspire you? You're talking about some of the greats that you played for. You've taught, you know, Bill Parcells. And you look at Josh McDaniels. And my question is, okay, how can he lead, okay, without much passion? You could be a great X and O guy. You could be under the Bill Belichick tree. I get that. But as a player, Rod, don't you want to play for a guy that has some passion, has some fire, has some knowledge, instead of some of these these guys that you know darn well do not have the experience to be a head coach? Oh, I mean, like, like, I mean, like, listen, it's like we talked about earlier. 
I would rather have it a guy wear it on his sleeve. Yep. I'd, ra- I'd rather be able to see it when he walks in the locker room. That this guy's passionate and he cares and 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 he's excited. I I, w- I would rather see it than not. However, it is possible for somebody to have that passion and and just and, and just be a quiet guy. I mean, it reminds me of um, of uh, of Andre Tippett, the New England Patriots. You know, played for I don't know 15 years, 16 16 years or something outside linebacker. About six or seven Pro Bowls was in complete. Was one of the baddest dudes I've ever been. Listen, Andre Tippett's on my first man, first team All Man. Clearly, he was a superstar. Thirty degrees black belt with the Pro. A bad. Listen, he didn't say two words. He didn't say two words. But everybody, by just by watching him play in his intensity, he wasn't a raw raw guy at all. But everybody, but he was a leader. And, and and he inspired our whole team to be more physical, more aggressive, uh, more prepared, better rested, just by the way he walked around and he said two words. So it's possible to be a quiet guy and still show that you love your team by your actions, okay? By you watching Andre sacrifice his body to make a block, you know he cares about the guy behind him because otherwise he wouldn't do that. So you, you can you can watch him on film and realize, man, this guy loves us. Look, look, look the way he yeah, plays. From a player, I can I hear you on that. From a player, I guess I'm talking about more from a coach, from a guy that again you're taking direction from, who's who's supposed to be your leader and and that sort of thing. Especially we know that players, you know, sometimes don't respect a lot of the head coaches. They'll look at their resume and they'll look, okay, how does this guy relate to us? Does he know what he's talking about? Hey, how is he it it it, it uh, you know making adjustments and that sort of thing? So I I know what you're saying, you know. From a player standpoint, I hear you, but I think oh, Andy Reid is maybe one of those guys who's kind of quiet. But you know, Andy Reid can coach, right? So, yeah. But yeah. again, as a player, would you you know don't you want to play for a guy like that that you feel that okay, this guy he's been through the wars, or you know, not necessarily as a player, but just you know, he's got the experience, he's got the knowledge, or you know, hey, he can motivate us when we need to be motivated. Yes, you're, you're, you're 100% right. I mean, like, like I said, like I, I would rather have a coach that wears it on his sleeve, that's like Bill Parcells that comes in the locker room and like just, just spits it out to everybody, what you're doing, how he feels, how he feels about you, how he feels about your mom, your girlfriend. He just, he just goes off, right? I mean, I, you, know, you, know, you know where you stand, even if you're not really interested in knowing where you stand, okay? Like, like you're, you're going to find out everything you want to know if you don't know. Now, there is, a, there is another way that you can that you can – create that love and you can build confidence in your team um, and not be rah-rah. And that is by, by raw efficiency. One of the things that creates trust faster than anything is when your coach comes up to you and says, Hey, Ross, let me tell you something. Next time Jerry West comes out, if he's inside the numbers, I want you playing his outside shoulder. Just play it from there. Okay. I'm like, all right, coach, I got you. Next thing you know, I'm playing Jerry West on the outside shoulder. They're running out, kind of making an interception. We win the football game. And I go, damn, that worked. A couple of weeks later, coach says, hey, Rod, listen, next time you see, uh, next time you see uh, Michael Urban, next time he's outside the numbers, I want you to play him on his, play him on his inside shoulder. And you're like, all right, coach, you do that. So now you're supposed, you're supposed to be on his outside shoulder. You get on his inside shoulder. He wants a slant. You pick it off. Oh, he won the game. Hey, guess what? That coach is a hero. Yes. I don't care. I don't care if he ever. So if, so Jeff Daniels says, hey, guys, come here. Time out, time out, come here. I got a play that's going to work. It's third and three. We've got to get this. Run this play. It's going to work. And then you run the play. The guy's wide open. First down, game over. Guess what? You just, you just, you just got trust like crazy. So you, you can earn trust through effectiveness, through, through having the ability to, 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 to strategically give your team or individual player an advantage, and that guy will run through a brick wall for you. So 
Daniels, if he can call a couple of those plays and show that he's that he can help his team in critical situations, listen, they'll, they'll, they'll run through a wall for the guy. Final thing here. One 4-0 team. It's the Philadelphia Eagles. You believe in it? What do you think? Listen, I go back to Bill Parcells again. I keep going back. He's a genius. He's, he's Einstein. Listen, listen, you are what you are. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I mean, really, it sounds it sounds so stupid to cliche, but but listen, if you're four and zero, you're four and zero. There is no way in the world in the National Football League, given the mathematics of the game and how hard it is to win football games, you can win four games in a row and be garbage. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to win the Super Bowl. I'm not saying that. What it does say is they're probably a playoff team. You know what I mean? They're probably the first team to separate themselves. To the, well, not just maybe not the first team. But you got some other teams that are pretty good at three and one. But but like but a four and zero start. And I want to say I came with the Mathers. I saw this the other day. Like it's something like something like there's a sixty five percent chance to make the playoffs or seventy percent chance to make the playoffs just off just off of that alone. So like it gives you an idea kind of where they are. It's rarefied air to go four and zero. You know, I mean, that's to, to go to go undefeated the first quarter of the season um, is is remarkable. It tells you that they're a good football team. Now, when people say, "Oh, look, Rob, they ended up losing the next ten games in a row," man, Rob Smith, they don't know what they're talking about. Well, let's start with this. All right, it, it 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 there is a incredible advantage when your team is healthy to win games. I never articulated that correctly, but but teams that are winning games are usually healthy. And, and, and all it takes is one or two guys to go down in critical positions, and a team that's 4-0 could, could lose the next four games. And it could even be a guy that nobody knows. It could be like the, the right guard. The right guard could be an average player, but he could be the most physical, nastiest, loudest, aggressive person in the locker room. He gets everybody stirred up. He, he is the thermometer of the team. He plays physical. Everybody matches his intensity. That guy, that guy goes down. Nobody knows his name. But somebody gets injured for a couple weeks, and also the team sucks, and they're like, hey, Rob, they know what they're talking about. Well, it only takes one guy who emotionally is the center of the team, and the whole team can suffer, not talent-wise, but, but there are certain players that give an emotional look to the team in a way that, that nobody else can. Now, like a guy like Ray Lewis was both. He was a great player to affect the game, but he was also – so incredibly motivational for his team. You know what I mean? Like, like, so like, take away Ray the great player, but he, but what he did for the team in terms of leading, in terms of being physical and prepared and rested and aggressive and assertive, I mean, like, it, you can't put into words. And, and, and losing a guy like that can dramatically change the course of the team. So hopefully play doesn't encourage, doesn't, doesn't experience that and they continue rolling on. But yeah, listen, 4-0 was 4-0. Anybody says, I don't believe it. What are you talking out of their butt? Sorry. But they are who we thought they were. And we love them. <laughs> you got me chewed up. I love it. <laughs> you know how it is, man. Exactly. Oh, my God. That's awesome. No, we thought we were. We love them. That's it. Hey, man. You, you said it yourself. That's uh, So Dennis Green is echoing what Rod Smith says. Yeah. Oh, that is awesome. We love them. <laughs> All right, brother. Hey, great stuff, man. Great to reconnect to you again. You know, I thought that you might be in town coming up this weekend because you know what's happening here. Shamrock Series comes to Vegas, baby. Your alma mater, your team and mine, the Irish, are taking on BYU, baby. How come you're not coming to Vegas? That, that's right. That's right. Listen, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm engaged. I'm madly in love, and I'm staying my happy butt out of Vegas. For, <laughs> man, like that. I, listen, I, I won't be back there for a while. <laughs> 
Come on, you, you just tell baby girl you with TC. He's going to take you to all the, the spots and keep you out of trouble. I'm just going to take you to some fine dining, man. That's it. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. Don't listen to him, Rod. Don't listen to him. <laughs> It should be it should be a great game. Uh, Notre Dame's getting better. You know we're not that good. You know I, I think uh, Kelly left the cover bare, but like but we're improving, and hopefully we can make a game out of it. Are you rooting for Kelly at LSU or not? Um, no, right? but I'm not. Yeah. But, I'm, but I'm not hating. But I'm not hating him either. You know what I mean? Like okay. he, um, you know, he graduated like 97 percent of his kids, which is which is job number one. We won ten games a year for five years in a row when he was there. I mean, like, hey, listen, you graduate kids, um, and you win ten games a year. You know, how can you be mad at him? Like, like, thank you for your service. I wish it would have ended better. I think, you know, if you ask him, I bet you he would tell you, man, I wish it could. I wish it would have ended better. I think that he knew, like Tom Brady leaving the Patriots, he knew the cover was bare, and people don't understand this. You could have, you could have eighty four star athletes on your team. And I'm telling you this because I've been in these situations. I've been there. You could have a, you could have 84 stars on your team, and none of them could play dead. And people go, "Look, your recruiting is so good. I can't believe the team sucks." I can tell you why they suck because sometimes guy could eat, a guy could even be state player of the year in North Carolina or Georgia or Alabama. He, how can you be Mr. Football in Georgia and suck? You'd be surprised the way guys act when they get punched in the face for the first time in their life. You got this 18-year-old freshman out of Georgia who's had nothing but wins his whole life. He's just been a killing guys. The first time he gets to Notre Dame practice, he gets hit in the face by a bigger, stronger, faster guy, and, he's, and he breaks into tears. Mm-hmm. I swear to God, I, you think he's the toughest guy in the world. He's a fire star. He's a can't-miss guy. And the first time he gets body slammed on his back, he literally, you can see the confidence, like, dripping to the ground. The way a man reacts to losing over and over and over for the first time in their life can, can diminish, can take a great player and turn him into nothing. So I think Kelly knew that we had a bunch of uh, – talent on paper but these guys couldn't play dead so now's the time to get out of there and try to get the big payday so in comes freeman freeman's like oh my god this thing's empty which is why he's hitting the recruiting trail so hard i mean so hard why because he knows it's empty so we're not very talented in my opinion however we're bringing in guys we are we are retooling we're bringing in guys Almost like when Coach Holtz took over. We supposedly had great recruiting classes. We were garbage, right? And Coach Holtz had to retool. That's what our guy's doing now. So we're talent-wise, I think we're average. I think we're 6-16 six and 16 talent-wise. But we've got kids coming in, and we're retooling the guys we've got. I think we'll get better in the years to come. Rod, go take a shower, man. Go, da- go down to Gatorade. I, I felt like you just, you just played 60 minutes. Rod Smith just went 60 minutes. Go take a shower, man. I love it. Good talking to you guys. Call me back if you need me. I'd love to talk to you again. Oh, no. You're in the rotation, brother. Whether you like it or not, you're in the rotation. You're back. Roger that. Thank you, brother. Roger that. Have a good one, man. Thank you. Appreciate you. There is one of my favorites, Rod Smith. I met Rod Smith at the Fiesta Bowl when Notre Dame played Ohio State. We sat next to each other, and it was just like that. It was like that. And that was a game where Notre Dame uh, lost to Ohio State. Ezekiel Elliott, there was a question mark whether uh, he should play or not. And I got a picture of my daughter. You'll like this, Nunchuck. Jules, as you know. And she has a, a, a poster that she's holding up. And I got a picture of her saying, Ezekiel, have another drink. 
Oh, bro. I'm low-key faded, bro. Love it. Because that was when he was supposed to be suspended. Yep. And Urban Meyer says, nah, you're going to play. Because he got a DUI yeah. right before that. So anyway, uh, and uh, yeah, so been friends with Rod Smith ever since, you know, going back, what, five years, uh, six years uh, of that Fiesta Bowl game. But uh, he's passionate, went to Notre Dame, played seven years in the league uh, with the Panthers, drafted by the Vikings. Uh, just, uh, just a great guy and knows the NFL and has done a lot of great work with the Carolina Panthers uh uh, radio network. All right, we come back. We go back to talk a little baseball to close the show with today. Interesting game between the Astros and the Phillies. My man Mark Borcher, the base winner, has some interesting thoughts as we get ready for the playoffs. Who needs an enema? Hey, what? They drew first blood. Now's the time. What is that? Is that a? Uh, is that Rambo? No, I made that up. No, no, no. <laughs> That's Rambo. You want me to help you or not? Yes, yes. All right, come on, let's go. Back to more nonstop sports talk with the doctor, T.C. Martin. Yeah, what a day, what a show. Appreciate Rod Smith for joining us, Steve Sachs. The energy, the passion, always there. And all of it, the website later, tcmartinshow.com. Back to talk a little bit of baseballs. The regular season winds down. And uh, my man, the base winner, Mark Borchard, basewinner.com, does a fantastic job on that and also joins me Monday through Friday mornings along with uh, Scott Spritzer and Dave Koken uh, for our daily pick show on the MLB show on BetUS TV via YouTube. Base winner, the analytics guru, as I like to say. What is up, my man? Dude, I'm so pumped up, TC. It's like, you know, when you're talking about the show, it's amazing how many shows we've put out this this season i mean it's 180 days of shows man well i guess you don't have a weekend so not that many but like 130 at least yeah this is true good stuff man well i know that you have some thoughts about the close of the regular baseball season for me mark i've just said uh i'm not betting these last few days because there have been so many upsets there have been so many dogs that have been barking i mean you just look at last night you had so many dogs that cashed for all the playoff teams, they lost. Cleveland lost. Atlanta lost. Tampa Bay, Houston, Seattle, Dodgers. Dodgers used nine pitchers in their two-to-one game. I mean, highly unpredictable. And then we've got Houston and Philadelphia. Now, I know you really like this game tonight, Mark, and I want you to share with your uh, w- with the people, with our audience here, on why you think that this is probably one of the I guess you want to say the most intriguing games of the season. Yeah, it sure is. And and for me, I think that if they play it out the way that I think they should, I think Houston might be one of the best bets of the year in this situation. And and I, I price every game uh, throughout the year. I, I come up with an overnight card that I send out and has a pricing on all the games. And I've got Houston here at minus 221. So there's value in the market at least there was earlier in, in, in the morning. So I like to play anyway, but, but what really kind of is the capper to this play is Philadelphia, in, in my opinion, should try to lose these next two games because it gives them such a better chance to advance through that wild card round. So the probability I have for them to beat St. Louis, so that's if they're the sixth seed and they play St. Louis in the wild card round like they are right now, 
there is 63% probability to win that series. Against the Mets, if they want to try to get that fifth seed, they only have a 31% chance to win that series. So it's like a 32% swing based on who they play. And again, my, my numbers are super high in DeGrom. I don't like Wainwright. Wainwright's been trashed his last 150 plate appearances. He's got an 8% strikeout rate. I mean, there, there's such a disparity between uh, Wainwright and DeGrom. You know, if you, look at the, if you look at DeGrom's expected ERA, and he's got like a 42.7% strikeout percentage that goes into this. It's one36 and then Wheeler's good. He's at 3.06, but then Wainwright's at 4.49. So the swing in it is just – and then they got to face Scherzer in game two, so as opposed to Michaelis. So I think that, like, Philly's, like I – mean, I mean, they're doing themselves a disservice if they win and, and become the, the number five seed. I mean, that's a big – it's a big deal, TC. It's like you, if you get through the wild card round, you get you get at least one home playoff game, and then you give your, your, your team the opportunity to – to advance through the round. So I think to me, uh, outside of, of, yeah, I I don't see how you try to win this game in in my opinion, TC. So interesting take, uh, because, you know, no one likes to hear about teams tanking, especially teams that are, you know, uh, in the playoffs and they're in they're battling for position, but you're right. Because if Philly has that six seed, they have a much better advantage uh, facing the Cardinals and they just got blasted. Uh, in the long season series, those 19 games they played with the Mets, lost a majority of those games, and they would play the Mets more than likely if they have that fifth seed. So, you know, this morning we were talking about this, and I told you that, that you know, players are not going to sit there and, and, and tank. You know, they're not going to you know, go out there and play and strike out. That, this doesn't happen. It's absurd. Never going to happen. But who can control this? is the executives in the front office or the management and what lineup is the manager going to put out there and you can see if they're going to if they're trying to win this game or they're trying to lose this game and i said earlier today wait for an hour hour and a half before the game and look at the lineups well guess what base winner here is your lineup for the Philadelphia Phillies today Bryce Harper is leading off which he traditionally does not do Alex Bohm is batting second then you get this Hall Marsh, Stott raised up to the fifth hole, Maton, Verling, Guthrie, Stubbs. You have four rookies in the lineup here. They are basically saying, uh, we'll, we'll, we're just going to sit everybody, and whatever happens, happens, but they're not putting forth their best lineup. In comparison to the lineup that they put out there against the Astros last night when Aaron Nola took the mound, and Nola basically had a perfect game going through six innings until Jordan Alvarez busted it up. Phillies lineup last night, Kyle Schwarber, Reese Hotkins, Bryce Harper, JT Realamuto, Alex Bohm, Castellanos, Marsh Segura, Stott. Big difference from what they put out there last night compared to what they put out there tonight and going against Justin Verlander, who obviously is, is going to win the Cy Young, and they're going to give him one more outing just to you know get him ready for the playoffs because the Astros aren't going to play again in six days. But let me give you the Astros lineup, a team that has nothing to play for, number one seed. Dusty and the guys can just hardly wait to get past Wednesday so they can rest and, and get out here you know, healthy. Astros lineup today. Altuve, Pena, Alvarez, Bregman, Tucker, Gurriel, Diaz, McCormick, Maldonado. Their A lineup. And Justin Verlander on the mound. You should have a winner tonight, my friend. 
Yeah, you know, it's gone from uh, minus 180 to, to minus 225. So the market's taking note of that. You know, interesting, Phillies, uh, you know, since they are from Philly, they have Hall in the lineup, but but no Oats. Yeah, <laughs> very nice. There you go. I can't go for that. I can't go for this lineup. And I think that I would be, you know, as a Philly fan, my, my father-in-law is a huge Philly fan. And, and, and I got into a text exchange with him after the show. I said, hey, they got to lose this game. Oh, we'll beat either team. I mean, this is where Philly is right now. They're, they're so, they, they get into the playoffs, and then they're the best team in, in the world to the Philly fan. But then when they're, when they're struggling, then you got to fire the manager. You, the team's the worst. So this is typical Philly fan stuff. But, I mean, really, like, and I think, you know, Sam Fold was interviewed on High Heat uh, this, this morning, and, and they said, well, who do you want to play? And he, he, was, he was politically correct. He kind of dodged the question a little bit. He's like, well, they can be, we can, each team can beat, beat us. In, each team is good in their own different way. And it's like, you know, I looked today. I wanted to see how deep, you know, analytically this, this Phillies organization was. And it starts with him. He's a Stanford alum. But then they've got a guy who runs the, the quantitative department over there. He's, he's got a master's from MIT. And they've got like eight or nine quantitative analysis, analysts there. And so, like, if, they can, if I can see this as one guy who handicaps baseball, you know, the probability swing in, in losing as opposed to winning, they, they can as an organization. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if this team gets out to a lead, what they're going to do in the later innings, because it really makes a huge difference, um, you know, whether they, they're the sixth or the fifth seed, you know, by my numbers. All right. All right. Uh, you know, basically, I think I'm going to go against, you know, what I said earlier and what I've said the last couple of days. I'm. I think I'm going to pull the trigger on the Astros tonight myself. I said I wouldn't do it, but again, I think I'm even going to pull the trigger on the run line, which I hate. But that's how much confidence I have in Verlander against this pathetic lineup that the Phillies are putting out. And you're right; they're probably going to use their bullpen tonight. Ranger Suarez stinks; he's going to start. So it it is. It. I think you you make a good point. This could be one of the best games on the year. And again, even though the Astros really. You know, they, they want to get out of here healthy. That's their main thing. And like last night, Altuve and Pena, they came out of the game. They're, they're top two hitters in the lineup after the two at-bats last night. But, yeah, I think I'm with you, brother, tonight. I'm with you on the Astros. Yeah, and I don't think it's – I mean, if I was a Phillies fan and, like, they, if they were just straight up saying, hey, you know, we want to be the 60 to give us the best opportunity to advance in the playoffs, like, I would, I would accept that as a fan personally. Um, but, yeah, it, it's – you're right. This this lineup that they're putting out is 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 subpar for for what they could put out. So that's cool for me to see that. And you know, this is what you know. It's funny because TC over the years, I've, I've been kind of like you. You know, uh, this year's a little bit better because there's a limit to 28 on the roster. You know, in years past, it's been a 40 man roster, and it's like you, you couldn't even tell who was playing in years past. So September, especially late September, was just awful to handicap. This year's a little bit better, but I'm I'm kind of like you, you know, go approach the card with trepidation. But in this particular case, I, I don't see any other way to play for Houston. The other thing is, is Ver, we disagree with this a little bit, but I think Verlander is kind of still fighting for that Cy Young award against Otani, and I don't think an extra win and extra ten strikeouts would hurt his cause at all. So I think he's you're going to get the real deal with with Verlander. And I, I think I don't know, you probably know for a fact how many innings he's got to pitch because you know <laughs> Dusty Baker. But but I I think that you're going to get a good effort. Hopefully he'll pitch a little bit deeper into the game. He is Mark Borchard, basewinner.com. Go to his website, uh, the analytical guru. Uh, great breakdown uh, all the time. And, of course, you can join us on the MLB show on BetUS TV on YouTube every 
morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, my friend. Appreciate you, brother. Good luck tonight. We're on the Strohs. Let's close it out. We'll look forward to the playoffs. We'll have you back on, and we'll see you tomorrow morning, bro. Awesome. Sounds good, TC. Pleasure being on. Thanks for having me. There he is. Go to his website, basewinner.com. I want to thank Basewinner for joining us today, Rod Smith, the former cornerback. Great stuff, great passion there. And, of course, Steve Sachs as well, too, talking about the sickening part of Major League Baseball not being able to move the runners over. Everything that's going on there, huh? The playoffs, it's right around the corner. Some meaningful baseball as we come to the end of the regular season. You miss any part of the show, go to the website at tcmartinshow.com for everything for you. All those interviews and a whole lot more will be up there. Go check out the interviews on the classic page and also the current interview page. And then our breakdown from the Raiders game on Sunday. Look ahead to the Chiefs coming up on Monday Night Football next week. All right, tomorrow, another great show. Make sure you tune in tomorrow. we got all kinds of great stuff happening. Chris Bosio is going to join us tomorrow, the former pitcher. Good stuff there. Lincoln Kennedy is going to be joining us this week. Of course, Scott Spritzer, Trevor Maddich, and a whole lot more. And we're at the Westgate on Friday from 2 to 4 p.m. with the best bets and a whole lot more. Come out and see the show live. For Nubchuck, TC saying so long. Have yourself a good one. We'll catch you right back here. Manana.